Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. We're continuing in our series of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to start by asking this question. So when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why do we consider it a promise? And the reason why we consider it a promise is simply what Jesus said in Luke 24, 49. It's, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Remember, they were born again on the evening of the resurrection. Jesus said, There is a promise you have yet to receive, and when that happens, it will come upon you in power. So Jesus calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit a promise. So some would argue that it was only a valid promise to the first century believers. We would argue against that because simply what the Word says. And after the disciples received the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said these words. uh, Acts 2.39. This is at the end of the message that he speaks on that day. For the promise. The promise is for you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. When you look at that verse, it's a perpetual promise. It's not bound by time nor geography. It's a promise that is valid for us today. And the reason why it's a promise that is valid for us today is the purpose of the promise. So what is the purpose for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Again, let's look what Jesus said, Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to fulfill its purpose, which is a spirit-empowered witness. There you go. That's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, many believers are confused about the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because sometimes we as Pentecostals, we place a heavy emphasis on spiritual manifestations. And what happens is when we put a heavy emphasis on spiritual manifestations, we forget about the purpose. So tongues is one of those spiritual manifestations which serves as a sign for believers receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now tongues, by the way, aren't the only uh, manifestation we see that accompanies this promise because we, we can read about this promise four times in the, in the book of Acts alone. And each one of them has certain other manifestations that follow it. But tongues is the only consistent manifestation we see in every experience. For example, when the Ephesian believers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So you have two different manifestations here, tongues and prophecy. So the Ephesians believers, again, spoke in tongues and they prophesied. They're not one and the same manifestation. They were two different ones. But they were both there or manifest when these believers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, tongues may not be the only sign, and we recognize that as as a Pentecostal church, but it's the first and most consistent sign through all the experiences. So that's why we look at tongues as physical evidence, because it's the only one that we can look at Scripture at each and every one of these circumstances that is consistent. Are you following me? So tongues are a sign. Tongues are a sign of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But again, is that the purpose 
for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. Tongues are not the purpose of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see the purpose of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not only in the words of Jesus, which he said, you know, we'd be empowered to be a witness, but we see this also by the demonstration or the behaviors of the disciples right after they received this wonderful promise. See, if speaking in tongues was the primary promise for receiving, or excuse me, the primary purpose for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have simply remained in the upper room and just spoke in tongues all day long. Because that would be the purpose. But that wasn't the purpose. And we see the purpose demonstrated by their behaviors. So what happens after the disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They've spoken in tongues. They've had this wonderful experience. Let's go again to the verse that follows right after uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And just a side note, God chooses to pour out the Holy Spirit not on just any old day. He chooses to pour out the Holy Spirit on a very specific day. And here's the reason why. He pours the Holy Spirit out on the day of Pentecost. And if you don't know the significance of Pentecost, Pentecost is a Greek term for the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was one of three Jewish feasts that required devout Jews to return to Jerusalem to worship. So when God pours out his Holy Spirit, he has a captive audience already. Jews from all around the world, devout men. People are, you know, when devout Jews will pilgrimage from, from hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles to come back to Jerusalem, you know these are pretty dedicated people. These are the people that you want to hear the gospel. These are the people you would want to hear what has taken place in Jerusalem. So it's not by any accident that God pours out his Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost, or weeks, which is, by the way, a... Um, a uh, harvest celebration. The Jews have two harvests, spring and fall. I, don't, I find that ironic, but not really ironic. It's by purpose. God pours out his spirit. People receive his spirit on a day that celebrates the harvest. So anyways, the Jews who witnessed these events obviously would go back to their homes. And some of them lived, again, hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles away. They would travel back to communities, Jewish communities, throughout the Roman Empire, and they would be witnesses themselves. They would tell others, hey, this is what happened while we were in Jerusalem. While we were there during the Feast of Weeks, God poured out the Holy Spirit. And there's some things that happened that we just can't explain. So the disciples were in the upper room when they first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as the disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. And this is what the worshipers heard or experienced. Because we know that the disciples are in the upper room. They're speaking in tongues some of them think it was like an open room. We don't know. We weren't there. But we know this, that the upper room was very close, if not adjacent, to the temple courts, right there in the same place where the worshipers would be gathered. So this is what the worshipers, devout men, would be experiencing while they're there. So verse 6, And when the sound occurred, so they're hearing what's taking place in the upper room, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them, speaking of the disciples, speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these men who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Let's skip on down to verses 11 and 12. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could, Whatever could this mean? So the worshipers, 
And the, the worshipers heard the disciples speaking in other tongues, speaking in their native languages. And it was amazing. And others thought, these people are drunk. So Peter stands up in the midst of all this and begins to share. Listen, calm down, people. This is what's taking place. For these are not drunk as ye suppose, or as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And I want to say this very quickly. There is something that, that we need to make clear. This is not verification of being drunk of the Spirit. Tongues was the reason why these people thought, these worshipers thought the disciples were drunk. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention the disciples were stumbling around like drunkards falling all over themselves, intoxicated by the Spirit. Nowhere. I mean, we make that up in Pentecostal lore, but it's not in the Bible. The Bible says the disciples spoke in tongues, languages they did not know, languages only known to those who heard them speaking. The worshipers knew the disciples were Galileans. They remarked, these, these men are Galileans. Well, you say, how would they even know that? If you don't know, so this, this is mentioned throughout the, uh, the Gospels that Galile Galileans had a very distinct accent. And remember, the, the language of this area is not Hebrew, it's Aramaic. Anybody have you seen the Passion of the Christ? It's, it's recorded in Aramaic because that's the language that they spoke in, believe it or not, Israel during that time. It was a universal language. Now, the Jews knew how to speak, would be able to speak Greek and Hebrew and, and Aramaic and several other languages, but the common language was Aramaic. So again, these worshipers, or these, or excuse me, these worshipers knew these men were Galilean Jews because they had a very distinct accent. The Jews that were, or the, uh, the disciples that were speaking, and tongues, they're speaking in tongues, the, the devout Jews that have come to Pentecost, they said, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Again, if you were a Jew who lived in a foreign nation that spoke a different language, and you heard these Galilean Jews speaking in the language that where you're from, your native language, let's say you came from hundreds of miles away, and you speak at your tribe or the country that you're living in speaks a, a, a language that's very distinct. And you show up in Jerusalem one day, and here are these Galilean Jews speaking in that language. That would amaze you. I mean, remember this. We don't have technology. We don't have the It's not like these people had just languages at their front door. They just use them all the time. It's, it was something very amazing to these people, very distinct. That doesn't mean they were drunk, by the way. It simply means this. If you heard these Galilean Jews uh, followers of Jesus speaking in tongues and you didn't understand what they were saying, the only thing they could equate it to was being intoxicated. Again, it doesn't mean they were stumbling around or drunk or anything. It just simply means these people were speaking in languages we didn't know and understand. And so, again, let's say, because it didn't say what language, I mean, it doesn't say what language was spoken. It was just simply that they understood that these were native languages where they were from. They recognized them, but some didn't recognize any of the languages. So here's my point. Again, if someone comes up to you and they're, they're speaking in tongues and, you will, and you know they're Galilean Jews, you might think, these people are drunk. So I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that you can't have an overwhelming experience with the Holy Spirit. Not, I'm not saying that whatsoever. I am saying this, that you aren't intoxicated by the Spirit like a drunk person who loses their capacity to be in control. I've witnessed this, and I've heard this. I've seen this so many times. It just People say, this, I was drunk in the Spirit. I just lost control. 
as if control was an effort to con- their control was an effort to control the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, operate in agreement with each other. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, operate in agreement with each other because the source is the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit does will always find agreement in God's Word. So, for example, fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says this, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I didn't get saved until I was 21 years old, so I know what it's like to be intoxicated and not be in control. And I find it very ironic that we mix these two together in the Pentecostal world. It's kind of like earlier. I said this, we don't give to get, do we? Because if we give to get, are we we're using giving as working greed back into our lives? And don't you see now the correspondence then? We're saying that if we're drunk in the Spirit, we lose control, that that somehow is edifying, that is somebody glorifying to God? Aren't we really, aren't we doing this in a culture that is already addicted to everything? Aren't we working an addictive mindset into the church world, into Christianity? Don't get high out there on, on cocaine or, or, or meth. Man, you come to church, get high on Jesus. Now, again, you say, well, that sounds good, but think about the implications of people who are prone to being intoxicated. And the, let's say this. Let's just say that the experience isn't genuine because I believe it's not. Why would we want to duplicate this world? Why would we want to duplicate the spirit of this world? No, pastor, when you're drunk in the spirit, God is in control. That is the most convoluted statement I've ever heard in my, in my life. God is in control because God is God, simply. Self-control is our submission to God and his word. Self-control is our submission to God and his word. It's just like this. True freedom isn't this, sitting as much as you want and go to heaven. That's not true freedom. True freedom is this, the freedom to be free from our flesh free from the the desires of this world, a freedom that allows us to become more like Jesus. Not a freedom that is a rubber stamp. You go do what you want. You say the sinner's prayer. You're good to go. You're going to heaven no matter why. That's not true freedom. 1 Corinthians 14.32 says this, and the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. Self-control. Self-control. These devout Jews from all over the Roman Empire gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Didn't see these followers of Jesus staggering around all over themselves like some drunkards. That's not what they saw. They heard the disciples speaking in tongues that some of them just didn't understand. And they couldn't understand why these Galilean Jews would be speaking in these different languages. The only thing that we we see in our world, at their world at that time, I mean, this is the only thing they could equate it to. Again, they're not saying they're intoxicated in the Holy Spirit. They just said, these guys must be drunk because their language. We don't understand this. We're perplexed. Some of the worshipers heard the disciples speaking and didn't understand what the disciples were saying and assumed they were drunk. The only thing the worshipers could equate this to was, again, drunkenness. It doesn't mean they were drunk in the Spirit. Let's go back to what Peter says to the Jewish worshipers about what they witnessed concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is, again, still in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter is, they just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He stands up, he's preaching, and he's telling them what this is all about. Verse 14, 
But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Let's skip one down to verse 16 for the time, sakes of time. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Again, I would say that's a promise. Something that was spoken 800 years prior, a promise. Verse 17, and this is the way he describes it. And it shall come to pass in the last days. We are in the last days. As soon as Jesus ascended into heaven, we are, we're in the last days. So it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. I don't like it to the fact that I'm having more dreams than visions. I guess that's indicative age, right? Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, exactly what should happen, what should take place. Empowered, he's not a preacher, he's a fisherman. He's not a trained speaker. He's simply a guy who is a commercial fisherman that has been with Jesus and has had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and he stands up in the midst of Judaism, in the midst of the most devout people in Judaism of that, and begins to preach. I mean, what kind of guts does he have? I mean, what's the boldness that he has? Why is that? Because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, he testifies, he preaches the gospel to thousands, and we know it's thousands because 3,000 get saved, and I'm, 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 I'm sure like any church, or any gathering of believers, not everyone raised their hand. So there were thousands of people gathered in the temple courts, and Peter stands up in the midst of them, just a fisherman from Galilee, and begins to preach. Peter closes his message with these words, Therefore let all the house of Israel know all assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And how do the worshipers respond to his message? That's his closing remark. It's as if he's saying, I need to close there. And then he begins to give the altar call. How do they respond? How do these worshipers respond? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, convicted. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? People were convicted of their sins. And what does he do? He tells them, verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. God is still calling people to repentance today. God is still pouring out his Holy Spirit. People are still lost in their sins, and there still needs to be a church who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach those people who are lost in their sins. It is a valid promise, church. Now more than ever, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now more than ever, we need the power that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit to reach our community, to reach our nation, to reach our world. We are empowered to receive, or we, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live a spirit-empowered witness, a spirit-powered life. What does that mean? What does that look like? Does that mean we just all run around as a bunch of preachers? Not necessarily, because often the best message is preached is lived. So a holy life, a life that is consistent with the Word of God, a life that is consistent with the Word of God, a life that is filled with, the, with spiritual fruit, a life that is becoming less like its fallen version 
and more like its Savior. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit, empowered to live a witness that is consistent with the Word of God. That's a Spirit-empowered life. Listen, church, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and your life begins to change and your life begins to produce fruit and people see that, what you say has credibility. But if your life is all over the place and you try to share Jesus with them, they're like, I've seen this dog and pony show before. And that exists on both ends of the spectrum. If you're over here on easy believesism, cheap grace, why would I want what you have? You live like hell and still proclaim Jesus. What do I want with that? Why would I even want to go to church and be around Christians if I could just, if all I got to do is say the prayer, believe? Then over here on Pentecostal side, why in the world would I want to go to Crazyville? We are baptized in the Holy Spirit, empowered to live a witness, consistent with the Word of God, Spirit-empowered life. But what is the purpose of tongues? Because why do we put an emphasis on tongues? So what we're going to see in the remainder of this message in this series, or this uh, part of the series, are these three things. Tongues in the New Testament occur in three forms. So we, when you read about tongues in the New Testament, there are three forms. Number one, tongues that are a sign. Number two, tongues that are a spiritual gift. Tongues that are a personal prayer language, praying in the Spirit. Those are the three functions of tongues that we see in the New Testament, and that's what we're going to cover in the rest of this uh, this part of the series. So let's look at number one. That's probably the only one we're going to be getting through today here. Tongues function as a sign. Tongues function as a sign. Listen, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 16, 17. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is available to all born-again believers, and tongues are a sign that accompanies that promised experience. Tongues that are signed do not, hear me, do not need an interpretation. Tongues as, as one of the signs the disciples had received this promise. We understand this from Acts 2, 4, or Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it real quick. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice that the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit did not force the disciples to speak in tongues, nor did the Holy Spirit speak for the, the disciples. Now, if you open your mouth and someone else's voice comes out, that's weird. So people, I've heard people say, well, if I speak in tongues, if you know, it's me, then well, who else is it supposed to be? So the Holy Spirit gave, supplied, furnished the utterance. The disciples receive, and they speak the utterance. So tongues, though, are not the prime product of this experience. Please hear me. The prime product, the purpose, is a Spirit-empowered life. Tongues are simply a sign in this situation where you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's never the prime product. Tongues that occurred on the day of Pentecost was not the gift of tongues. Those tongues served as a ministering purpose, but they weren't the gift of tongues. And, there's a, and if, you, if you call that the gift of tongues, you're creating a conundrum that doesn't exist in the Bible. On that occasion, tongues were a sign, but it wasn't the gift of tongues, because if it was the gift of tongues, it must be followed by an interpretation of tongues. 
You say, well, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. That's not what happened. Because again, if you say that you're creating a problem in Scripture, don't create conflicts that aren't there just to help you figure things out. Just read the Word. So the experience is taking place. We read verse 4. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. We read this earlier. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They didn't give the interpretation. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look at all these men who are Galileans, or speak or Galileans. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? No one gave the interpretation. The tongues that were spoken were not known by the disciples, but they were known by those who heard. So if we say the disciples spoke in tongues and the people who heard gave the interpretation, we create a conundrum. And this is the conundrum. Those people who heard aren't saved. They're not born again. How are they operating in spiritual gifts? We create a problem, don't we? Now the language was not known to the speaker, but the language was known to the hearers. The Holy Spirit did not supernaturally give the hearers the ability to hear. The hearers understood what was being said because the disciples were speaking in known languages. There was no gift of interpretation because no interpretation was needed because they spoke in tongues and these tongues were a sign. The disciples who heard them speaking, or excuse me, the people who heard the disciples speaking in tongues heard them speaking the wonderful works of God, the Bible says. Some people believe all tongues must be followed by an interpretation and that's simply incorrect. That was case in point number one. Look what the Bible says, Acts chapter 10. Here is another experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and it's followed by the t- sign of tongues. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, just as we did on the day of Pentecost? The Gentiles who spoke in tongues, the Spirit enabled them. They heard them speak in tongues. No one gave the interpretation. They simply heard them. There was no, why is that? Because tongues were a sign. That's simply all they were. It was a sign. No interpretation necessary. These people had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. Here's another example. Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 6. This time it's Paul. This is what Paul said. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said, and we have not, we have not so much has heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to him, and what baptism, excuse me, into what then were you baptized? So they said into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, there's no talk about water here. They were born again. They were baptized into Christ. And when Paul had excuse me, and this happens directly after this, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit, look, came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the believers here, the Ephesian believers, after they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, but there's no interpretation, there's no translation. Why is that? Because there was none necessary, because it was simply they received the promise and spoke in tongues. And we see that in all four experiences throughout the book of Acts. If all tongues required an interpretation, we don't find that in those four examples. So if all four examples where tongues are present, only once, only once are those tongues understood. 
Only once. So we can safely conclude that tongues are a sign that don't need an interpretation. When someone is receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that does not need to be interpreted. Now at the same time, a believer can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, and someone can overhear what they're speaking and understand what they're saying. We're not saying that doesn't happen because that happened on the day of Pentecost, right? Tongues were assigned. The disciples received. They spoke in tongues. And people overheard them and understood what they said, but they didn't interpret, they didn't translate, they simply knew what they were saying. So that can and does occur, but it doesn't have to be interpreted. It's not the gift of tongues. It's different, it's separate, it's distinct. Other times, a person can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, no one knows what they're saying because, again, it's a sign. But then there are other times, now check this out, for example, someone can re receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues. Someone who operates in the gift of interpretation could feel like, you know, not only is that a sign, but that is also something that is being said to the congregation at the same time. And it could double as sign and a gift. And when that takes place, that person who understands the interpretation should be obedient and begin to speak. It doesn't happen every time, but it can and does happen. Remember, the gift of interpretation of tongues is not a translation of tongues. It's an interpretation. And that's why it should be judged. Tongues, then, are a sign. Let's go back to the, the subject of tongues. Tongues are a sign. In this circumstance of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they do not require an interpretation. The example we find throughout the book of Acts when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A person can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, experience Again, it can also double as a sign and a gift. We understand that. But the point is this. When, some, when, we, when someone comes to the altar or whatever setting you're in, they want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If they begin to speak in tongues, it doesn't have to have an interpretation. And that's the most important thing. Once you see that, once you see that in Scripture, four examples in Scripture we can look at, then it kind of helps you to understand that, okay, maybe I don't quite have this right after all. That, you know, maybe my persuasion was Baptist, or maybe my persuasion was something else where we didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We didn't believe in tongues, and we see this kind of convoluted mess. So the best way to do it is just say tongues must have an interpretation. But once you really just dissect what the Scripture says, begin to take it apart, then you start to have a little bit more of that fear and anxiety should leave. So next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And I'm going to just kind of go back for a second. This wasn't part of my message, but I just, as I was sitting here, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a corrective letter. Paul's not telling them not to speak in tongues, but he's correcting some things because there are some things out of hand at the church of Corinth. And look at what he says here. And this is speaking of tongues and interpretation. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Remember this earlier. When a man speaks in tongues, he does not speak to men but to God. Now, think about this. When the gift is in operation, how many times have you been in a church where someone has spoken in tongues and no one gave the interpretation? Or the interpretation, you were like, that's suspect. Okay, so here. Now, it is, it is on the one who speaks in tongues to understand this. And this defies not the Word of God, but our Pentecostal experience. But if there is no interpreter, so before you let it fly, you should know there is an interpreter there. Or this, you should be ready to give the interpretation because God's a God of order, not chaos. You can't just go out there and spill out a, a message in tongues and say, not my problem, deal with it. How many times have you had that happen? 
drop a nice old goose egg right on you. And people are just sitting around. They look at the pastor first and more. Hey, I'm going to let you right now know right now, I don't operate in that gift. So if a person speaks in tongues and it's a gift of tongues, if they don't know that there's an interpreter, they better be ready to fire up and give the interpretation. You know, it comes down to this. Anyone, I think, first and foremost, you must be born again. I think one of the biggest uh, things when it comes to understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I, I covered this in the last two weeks, so if you want to go online, at least one of those messages are on, is some confusion about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, we believe this. When you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever. If you're truly born again, this is you. You're filled with the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God in you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we, we think about this. We think of baptism this way, don't we? But that's, that's not the way it was described in what we... The, the baptism, yes, it's a baptism, but did you notice that when, when it was talked about, it was poured out, the Spirit was poured out, the Holy Spirit came upon them? Well, doesn't this make more sense then? Inundated, baptized, anointed, smeared with the presence of God. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, what we try to do, sometimes we would tell people, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit when you're just filled like that. No, everyone's born again, has the Spirit of God in them. But if they've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is God pouring out his Spirit, it's completely different. Well, why is that? Well, the purpose, again, is it to speak in tongues? No, it's a Spirit-empowered witness. You should be clothed in Jesus, empowered by Jesus. The, the life that you live is just inside there. It escapes inside of you. The, honestly, the reason I believe we speak in tongues is this. Why we speak in tongues of men as angels? Because what's on the inside comes on the outside. I believe that's one of the manifestations, one of the reasons. But I'm just saying this. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it just doesn't happen in here. It flows out of you, and it should affect everything about you. But if all it is is tongues, then i got a problem with it. And here's why I have a problem with it, because Scripture has a problem with that. Because if you're truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, again, if you have an issue with gossip and you're nasty and you're mean and you're negative, but you can speak in tongues, I find that, that, you, that it creates a big problem. Why on earth would I want to be a nasty, lying, gossiping person who can speak in tongues? It makes no sense. But when a person does this, when a person has those issues, they get saved, and then you're like, you know, I'm hungry for God. I need to change. I want more of God. And they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And after they do, something begins to change them. Their witness, their lifestyle, they're not so negative. They're not so nasty. They're not so gossipy. And there's change. You're like, you know what? There's something with that experience they had that was genuine. It wasn't just they come to the front of the Sunday where we laid hands on them. We prayed. They spoke in tongues. They had a little whatever. No, something genuine happened to that person. When that happens, then you verify, you, you begin to authenticate what takes place. But again, when people see no change, they see nasty religion, who wants that? Church, I just want to say this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a promised experience. It's available to any believer. You don't try to clean yourself up and be perfect enough to receive it because you didn't do that when you got saved. And you can't do that to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two requirements when it comes to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, you must be born again. Number two, faith. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.